0: strange attraction, mass psychology, synchronicities, and occulted realities.
1: Welcome to the Friday Farcast with Robert Phoenix.
2: And with that, we are live. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Friday Forecast. I'm Robert Phoenix. I'll be your uh, tour guide here for the next <clears throat> roughly hour and a half or so. So uh, we're going to have a, um, an interesting show in store for you today, and we're going to be joined by my friend, uh, Jeanette Hormuth, uh, for the first half hour. And we're going to get a, uh, kind of an update with Jeanette, who has uh, been engaged in a two-year-long uh, battle with the uh, County Gillespie and uh, the, uh, uh, the whole voting process here. And it, it all stems from when Jeanette and I were engaged in a, uh, an anti-fluoride campaign. And we managed to get the, the, uh, the issue on the ballot. We wanted the fluoride removed from the water here in Fredericksburg. So we got enough signatures and, well, we ran, a, I think a really good campaign, probably too good in some ways. And, we, uh, we were met with a very crushing defeat, which was odd. And for two reasons. One of the reasons it was odd was because we stood outside of the exit polls in a number of places with people uh, who were you know, kind of watching what was going on. Of course, we had our signs and all that shit. And it seemed as though that the results, again, they're very kind of superficial and and topical were positive. Like we were getting lots of thumbs up. We were we were uh, getting horn honks. So I'm like, wow, you know, we have a fighting chance here. Like we have a fighting chance. And so that's one piece of it. Like the kind of the informal temperature that we were taking is like, oh, this is this is interesting. And of course, there were the assholes because there's always going to be assholes. Um, but then something really weird happened. Now, this was a special election. And something really weird happened later in the day. So when I say it's a special election, it was this actual uh, measure to redo the city charter and take fluoride out of the water here. And we were hoping that on the momentum of Kyle and Buta and San Marcos, three neighboring communities here in Texas, in the Hill Country, that we could do the same thing. There was already a precedent. So we worked with uh, Sam Brannon, who's a great guy from San Marcos, who was the, uh, the field general for their, uh, for their effort. It took two years for them to get the fluoride removed. Uh, and they had to go through a lot of loopholes. They had to sue the city. But eventually they prevailed. And then subsequently the other communities that are uh, in, 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 the, in the water line of San Marcos, Kyle and Buda, basically sharing the same, the same water line, just had a vote and or decided, well, we're going to go in the same direction. So that's what happened. And it emboldened us to move forward and, and uh, pursue this effort. So uh, with a really bare bones crew and with the help of some very key people uh, who invested in our campaign and, you know, you know who you are, I don't have to, you know, go out on the edge of the dock here and thank you, Um, nor do I really want to, because that would expose you to more public scrutiny. But due to some very, very uh, generous people with their time and their resources and their effort, we were able to uh, stage a really viable campaign but because of the fact that it was a special election there were only two there were only two items on the ballot it was odd that they would have to go out in the middle of the day and get more ballots okay that was a really weird piece when I heard that it was like something's not right here. Not only that but where they put the, The actual measure on the ballot and the language on the ballot, of course, is part of the game that's played. So we're going to bring Jeanette on here. We're going to talk a little bit about that process. We're also going to talk about where she is with the suit, which is moving forward, and the fallout of the suit, which is quite interesting. And uh, it it starts to get – it really starts to, like, hit the nerve of the topic of our times, so we're going to bring her on. We're going to talk about that, and then when we're done, uh, we're going to go to her fundraiser page and see if we can drum up some financial support for her so that she can finish paying the lawyers who are quite good and have have worked on have decided to work on this at a reduced rate because they believe that there's a there there. They wouldn't have taken this case on if there wasn't a there there. So the goal here is we really need to get her to $10,000. So we're going to find out about all of this when we bring Jeanette on right now. And hopefully we can uh, help her get across the finish line so that when she does go into battle here, um, she'll have sort of the, the, the best resources available in order to do that. All right, so without any delay, let's bring on my friend Jeanette. And we'll kind of recap what happened with the whole election piece, go over the weirdness with the ballot and where it was placed on the ballot and, um, and also the wording on the ballot. What's going on, Jeanette? Nice to see you.
1: Hey, Robert. So you're at the uh, ocean there. Very cool. I'm on, the,
2: I'm on the dock of the bay waiting for my yacht to get filled up with some, yes. uh, some boat gas because we're gonna we're going take a spin a little bit later. Can
1: you and, can you send us a little water?
2: Well, I think it's coming. That's the uh that's the that's the report. So apparently it rained pretty 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 good in Austin last night. Good. As per Joan, she gave me the weather report.
1: Uh-huh. And
2: and I got a I think I got a a, a text or I was texting I was talking to my friend in Houston this morning and they got some water. But, but to your point what's really weird is I've been watching these weather fronts and they seem to go around the hill country. It's really bizarre, yeah. right? Really, really bizarre. Cause I I'm right in the alley, you know, where I live, right? I'm right in this, like the storm. You're, cell you're in the
1: storm uh, path. Yeah, I yeah. am in
2: the storm path and it has assiduously avoided this path
3: yeah. this
2: entire year. So I, I think that there's something funny going on with the weather and that's a whole other show that we're not going to get into right now. Um, but we're going to talk
1: about water and elections.
2: Let's talk about water and elections. So uh, just before you came on, I kind of laid the groundwork for what we're going to talk about. And I, and I kind of recapped, you know, how we put together the campaign, um, and how, you know, we, we were kind of piggybacking a little bit on San Marcos and Kyle and Buda. So this was not something that was, it wasn't an impossible dream. Like we had seen these other communities, Right. get involved and flip the switch and remove the fluoride from the water. Mm-hmm. So, so we were able to raise some capital, some money. We put together a nice campaign and I got us up to election day. And one of the things, and maybe you can respond to this. Um, I remember, this is my, this is my experience. I remember people coming out of the polling place and it felt like there were more positive responses, just kind of, tangentially in, in, in the atmosphere then there were negative ones. W- what are your thoughts on that? Yes. Well, um, I think that um,
1: the feedback I was getting was really positive, even, you know, before the election and going up to the election. Uh, we got a few people starting to say no, because the dentist started, you know, putting in all their um, propaganda right. and paper and all that. But um, like on election day, it, it, you know, it, it was really positive. I got hardly anybody, you know, saying no, or thumbs down. Everybody was thanking me, was waving, cheering, honking their horns, um, that sort of thing. And um, I really, frankly, like the whole time that all the doors that we knocked on, it was really positive. And I thought we had a really good chance. Um, Shortly before the election, of course, the the, the paper was not printing our stuff and the uh, you know the
2: we basically had to buy our way into the paper.
1: The dentist came out with you know all these full page ads and you know saying save our children.
2: Right. And, and the and the paper was pro fluoride, like yes. super pro fluoride. Yes. And yes. they weren't really into uh having a different a, a different point of view. Right. Well we, they
1: yeah well they use the the editor uses editors column to slam the other side, Satan's Young Science
2: and blah, blah, blah. He got his wife to write the big editorial piece, by the way.
1: Oh, okay. That's yeah. interesting. I believe that. So um, basically, um, still, we were out at the polls during early vote. And again, the the positive, the negative, there was more positive. There were, uh, you know, there was some negative. But I thought at worst, it was going to be a cl- at, at worst. I thought it was going to be close but we still have the edge, right? When right. We got the results. It was quite the other way, which was puzzling. I mean, it could be right, you know. You don't know, but I mean, that's not um, kind of what um, we were seeing. So
2: no, it's, it's it, in in the realm of immediate feedback, right? Like, oh wow, this is this is really positive. At least yeah. it felt. At least it felt that way. Yeah. Um, I so I did bring up also the fact that during that day, and I've never seen this before, and I've been here for since 2018. So, you know, 2018's worth of elections and the ones that I have voted in. Uh, I've never seen them have to go out and get more ballots. And to me, that was puzzling. You remember when that happened? It's like yes. they, they, they ran out of ballots or something. It was really weird. And maybe that's true. I don't know, but I've never seen it with anything else.
1: Yes. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. Um, And those are some of the things, I mean. um, It's an anomaly,
2: right? It's just one of those anomalies.
1: Yeah. I don't think that's ever happened that I recall.
2: Right. So in this election, all of a sudden now we got to get more ballots. Uh, The other thing is where our ballot measure was placed. It was on the back of the ballot. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is kind of the game that they play. I, I don't even remember what the other thing was it was well.
1: basically what happened here is the ballot measure that we had was um, a city ballot measure. It was for people that lived in the city. At the same time there was a general election with um, constitutional amendments I think it was and that is a county. That's so a county, county issue for that. So what happened is the city, contracted with the county to run the election. They're part of it for them. So they put it on the county ballot, you know, so that's kind of how it went. So the front, of course, would have the constitutional amendments and then the back was the city. So that's just kind of how it went. But um, it was a city contracting with the county and the county elections office uh, ran the election.
2: So, you know, they they played the language game. And if I remember correctly, it was, yes, you wanted the fluoride right out or no, you wanted to keep the fluoride, right? right? Is that how they worded it?
1: Well, that did get a little confusing, I think, yeah. for people because I was at the polls on election day and some people came out that I didn't catch going in. I said, you know, um, you know, how did you vote? And they said, well, I voted um, whatever. I get it mixed up myself. They voted the other way. I said, I said um, I, but they were for fluoride against fluoride but,
2: but they, they actually wound up voting yeah, for it right yeah. That, so it. yeah that was tricky that was that was a tricky they do that anyway with but,
1: but uh, honestly language. honestly that was our language <laughs> we submitted the language because um, uh, we were we were coached that you know having a yes vote, is the better advantage but we were saying yes we want no fluoride basically
2: okay so i wasn't I wasn't aware that we we were the ones that provided it, election. It. okay well that that yeah. that answers that question so
1: that's that's kind of on us you know, right
2: but. right all right so let's go back that's 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 the day that the election happens but there's a two-week period before all of that when people can early vote right and right. And you were, and I was down there with you occasionally, mm-hmm. you were, you were down um, at the city polling place where people were going in to vote. Right. Now in, in Texas, you can, what do they call it? You can, uh, like, what are they, the politic or whatever. You can get your yeah. signs out there, right? Right, right, and, right, and right, right.
1: You have right. to be a hundred feet from the door. Okay, but you're, you're allowed to, and I can't remember the word either, but you're allowed to, um, whatever it's called. Anyway, you're, you're allowed to do that. So you can talk to people, you can have signs, you can pass out stuff. I mean, that's part of the process is free speech. And um, so we were there and we were beyond the hundred foot thing. And um, we kept getting the, uh, the election judge kept coming in and out. Remember that?
2: Yep. Yep. And,
1: and he called the police on me twice. Twice. You know, saying I was harassing the voters or I was obstructing traffic. And if you've ever been there, um, there's a parking lot that nobody's there. Okay. And when people are early voting, there's not a lot. So one car might come in, you know, and a while later, another car might come in. So as they were coming in and they were in the parking lot, ready to go to some you know, space. Um, they, they wrote down their window and I just would hand them our little thing, right. you know, right. right. talk yeah. real quick, you know. And so he's saying, i um, obstructing traffic. And then the next thing they did is they moved their sign that, uh, uh, they put a sign out there to direct people to go park in the back of the parking lot. Like there's all these empty parking spots everywhere and they're all for that building. So anyone can park. But what they did is they then moved this sign that says election parking and was directing people to the way back so that I couldn't talk to them, you right. know, because right. that's in the hundred, you know, thing right. Right. And at right. some, uh, sometimes the, the judge was just standing outside, just sort of uh, kind of felt like a, um, what do you call it, uh, Gestapo or, or prison guard, you know, standing there, you know, just... <laughs>
2: Right. Right. So an an undue amount of pressure, um, and oversight, especially with the cops. I mean, come on. Right. Like, what are you really doing? Are you assaulting people? And everybody
1: knows, I mean, you know, me, everybody was laughing when they heard about that because they go Jeanette, we would like have to teach you how to be like aggressive or harassing or, you know,
2: I mean, it's, it's absolutely, if, if it wasn't so, um, In in a lot of ways, if it wasn't so infuriating, it would be funny, right? But it is infuriating because they were engaged in a police state action. That's really what they were doing. This is a police state action, and they were asserting a form of tyranny over you in that moment, right? And not once, but twice. You would think once they cleared up. Right. Like, oh, yeah. OK, it good. was about
1: three, three
2: or three four times, times, three times. Yeah. So you would think that after the first time, be like, you know what? We're good with her. Right. We're good with her. But the city, the police in a city answer to who? The answer to the mayor and the answer to the city manager. Right. So if the mayor and the city manager is directing those police to keep coming back out there, what do you think they're going to do?
1: Yeah. And the, and the police didn't know Um, uh, anyway.
2: But even if they did know after the first time, you would think they'd get the message. Right. But three times.
1: Well, the police are really nice. Actually, the police are really nice. I'm sure they're nice. They know me, but they said, you know, he just said, and he, and he knew, I I think he knew I really wasn't doing anything, but he said, um, you know, they were telling him that one more time, and the judge was going to get me for criminal trespassing, which is not, um, you know, which, which which they can't do because you're on
2: public property. You're on public property.
1: Right, 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 right. You but, can't. Uh,
2: you, 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 if yeah. they if they're criminally trespassing you, they have to be in suspicion that you've committed a crime, right? Yeah. And yeah. what crime? What crime were you were you being charged of? No, there's no crime there. No, <laughs> It's, if anything, it's, if anything, it's a thought crime. That, I was just that,
1: informing people of the, the poison in the
2: water. <laughs> right. The, the, the crime that was being committed, there was the thought crime of the election judge. That, that's what, that's what happened. Okay. So let's go to election night. Cause this is where everything starts to really percolate, which brings us to the suit. So let's go to election night. Let's talk about what happens on election night.
1: Okay. Well, you know, we, we, we had trained poll watchers that uh, everyone wanted to get trained up um, for the 2020 election, you know, because that's a big, big election right The presidential election so. Um, we, we, we got training everyone and. Um, and, and I did too, but I was busy at the polls for the day and I didn't intend to go do the poll watching because. Um, or beat watchers because they're not actually at the polls at this point. At this point, they're at central counting location, which was the same place as early vote was. And what happens is during the day, they pull out all the um, the uh, uh, what do you call it the the before the election votes, you know, the early vote.
2: Early voting. Vote.
1: That through the day, okay, and the mail ins. And then at night, when the polls close at seven, then they they all the ballots come to the central location and they count all of those. And then they, they submit all the reports to the secretary of state. So what happened is I'm at the polls all day. In fact, I was up at five, four in the morning, you know, and I was running the whole time out there all day long. And of course, running the campaign for the past, you know, number of months and everything else. But I was so looking forward, just going home and going to bed. So seven o'clock rolled around, and I'm ready to go home. I'm just looking forward to it, it's finally done. You know, now I can, you know, get on with my life, so to speak. And I get an urgent call by one of the poll watchers who said, um, you gotta get down here. You need to bring people down here because um, they were having a lot of trouble. And um, so I said, okay. So I grabbed Patrick, you know, was out there at the polls with us.
2: I remember Patrick actually running down the street.
1: Yeah. We just, we were going to take a picture. Remember we took a picture. We were going to take a final picture of us all. Remember? And then we dashed off. And by the way, what I was going to say is the poll watchers, you know, I thought no big deal. We're in a small town, you know, but this will be nice practice for next year because it'll be important. But I really didn't expect to, you know, see anything. I expected everything would be fine because I'm in a nice little town. Right. So I go down there, and it turns out that um, they had, had been having trouble through the day. Um, the, the first thing that I noticed when I walked in is that the, um, there was tape on the floor, a box of, you know, it made a box and it had like two or three chairs there. And it was in the middle of the room, okay? All the activity is like on one side with the table, and then there's the computer at the back but we were expected to sit in that little box and observe. Well, there's a difference between observing and spectating. We were spectators, we were not observers. So, um, and they had other trouble, other things that went on, but basically um, uh, the bottom line is we weren't allowed to see, even when we brought it to their attention of election code, we showed them election code we showed them it's a class A misdemeanor. And we were just told that um, they they have the discretion to run things, you know. So um, and we weren't allowed to watch, they had the computer, one computer they had in a lock in a back closet. That's the one they send the results to the Secretary of State. We couldn't watch that. Um, so anyway, and then at the end of the day, um, we get to the end and um you know all the ballots were sitting on their boxes and um were not secured or put away um they wouldn't give us you know records that we're entitled to and different things like that but they said we're all done you know and they shoved us out the door and
2: um but they weren't well, they weren't done, they weren't done.
1: Well, right and we come to find out well first of all the ballots weren't secure and so at the end of the day um and this is all in the affidavits. We we all wrote sworn statements to all of this, but um, basically they weren't they 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 weren't following election law. We're entitled to certain records. We're entitled to observe, which means getting close enough to see, you know, what you want to observe, and um, and then a, at the, the obstruction of the poll watchers. And so um, they whisked this out and. Um, so we we come to find out that they actually didn't leave till three in the morning, and we were whisked out around. Well, so uh, who knows what was happening? But it's just that when you combine all these things, as a result, we called a recount. Okay, right. So right. the recount also had all these, you know, kind of we're, harassment. There were anomalies. There
2: not were also know, of
1: irregularities, yeah. um, harassments, and and, and active. Not following the law, so uh, we had issues there as well. Uh, we we had to call the Secretary of State a number of times to get them to uh, speak to them or communicate to them that we are entitled to do this, that, the other thing, which they were preventing us. And um, and then we discovered uh, we discovered that uh, four hundred ballots did not. Uh, roughly 400 ballots, did not have the signature of the judge. Now, all the ballots by law, before they're given out to um, the voters, must be signed by the um, election judge. Okay? Um, otherwise, they cannot be given out. They're illegal ballots, basically. They're insufficient. They, because that that helps guarantee the uh, chain of custody. Because right. you should be able Follow everything to every step and know that that is that ballot went here and there the other thing. Well so 400 of them were not signed and then we found other things once we we got copies of everything and once we went through all the ballots and stuff we found things and so we we filed the suit um, because there was enough um, problems and questions and you know serious things that um, to challenge the election. You know, they, you can't say that it was valid. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't assert that that was the true vote with all the, with the things that had happened. So that's why we filed a suit. And um, anyway, uh, it's it's been like watching paint dry. Um, what was interesting, though, is shortly after we filed the suit, maybe a month or so, I can't remember, but at some point there, our mayor actually resigned.
2: I thought that was interesting. Yeah, can I, can I jump in here and just add a little something to what yeah. you're talking about? Yeah. So one of the things that you alluded to but didn't completely flesh out was the fact that you and Angela kept going back and forth between the secretary of state, the county judge, right? And also the election. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. That was okay. a different election. That was a different election. Okay.
2: But, but still, even yes. when you were yes. going to the secretary of state and the election judge, the election judge was basically saying tough shit. Well,
1: you know, what he's told we, we, us, since we run it
2: the way we run it, right? This, exactly. It? Yeah. What
1: happened is that we've been at uh, almost every election since, and it's gotten worse to the point where we know that they're doing it knowingly because we have, we have had to contact the secretary of state. We then sends him emails or talks to him on the phone saying, what you're doing is violating election law. Then he'll just do it again or ignore it. The last time we went, he said, well, he just had a different interpretation of the law than the secretary of state. That's right. So the <laughs> thing is that, you know, who has the, um, the authority, the authority to interpret the law. It's the secretary of state that's in the law. So, so we have that going. one time he told us, sue us. You know, so we have not been able to see anything. We've been pushed in a corner. One time they actually kept us from even we all showed up in the morning and the three major poll watchers that are most experienced, they barred us from going in illegally. And it took all day before I was finally get in. But we had to call the we called the county commissioners. We called the judge. We called the police. I filed a police report because what they were doing, they were violating a couple of um, laws there. I called the secretary of state who sent him a letter. And even after she sent the letter, say that um, it was unlawful for him to be rejecting me, that here's the reasons you can reject. And it only is if you're ineligible. So, and then he took it and he, and then I gave him a new appointment form and he rejected me again. <laughs> so finally, at the end of the day, we were able to get in. I think some people, yeah, a couple people went and talked to the judge. Uh, to see if he would do something finally uh, I think he might have made a phone call or something we got in but again I walk in there and all the poll watchers are off in a corner nobody could say anything so um yeah so uh it so so so
2: so the election judge which we're going to get back to in a second he went rogue I mean he just went totally rogue on this whole thing right it was like his little domain his little fiefdom and unless somebody uh higher up the food chain really sat on him he wasn't going to do anything he yeah, was and
1: part of the problem part of the problem is the secretary of state does not have enforcement authority they can only cite the law and tell you you're breaking the law right the problem is that we haven't had um there's not a mechanism to take care of it right there the only thing you could do is file reports after and it's a really long process or sue like we are doing um so but this last year um the laws have changed some really they're they're beefed up more and now uh there's some good things in place that are going to make it a little harder for um the election uh, officials that are maybe um not really doing their job the way they're supposed to um it 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 it, 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 it will, it will expose things and prevent things. And there's, there's penalties and stuff. So um, I don't know if, by the way, I don't know if that's why they all quit too.
2: Well, we're going to talk about that. Um, first off, you know, there is a, a predominant thought, which I, I do share, uh, which is at, at a national level, like, you know, how, how efficient or how impactful is this whole process of voting right so i have my doubts about it, the national level but mm-hmm. on a local level i still believe particularly with something like fluoride that people can make a difference and i'm, I'm not going to move off my 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 block right. With this
1: right
2: because again i bring up the the example of sam and mm-hmm. sam marcos right okay. that sam and his team made a difference now here's an important point also to bring up when we have this discussion that they were there inside watching the votes being counted in San Marcos. And then all of a sudden somebody shows up kind of out of the blue, doesn't really fit the profile of the vote count. Doesn't belong in the room. Does not belong in the room. And they are there. And then this guy kind of looks around and eventually he leaves, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That that's the story. That's that's what both Sam and they felt. And the they felt club.
1: that yeah, they felt that they uh, prevented something from happening because of the fact that they were present.
2: Right. Yes. They they mitigated any potential yes. threat to what could take place. Yes. Right. Yes. So again, I'm just giving you anecdotal evidence, but the anecdotal evidence seems to uh, corroborate the fact that a number one, your vote locally can make a difference. It happened in these communities, and number two. When you're there and you're in a key observational position, mm-hmm. it can it can really make a difference. I mean, even.
1: Yeah, it, just your presence. Just the presence. People, right. And, and what's so wonderful is um, as a result of this and then the things that are happening in our city of us trying to get people out, people are starting to get involved. They're showing up. They're being present. and it, And it is starting to have an effect. And that's what has to happen because it's on the local level where we have the most control. We can't do much about what's going on in Washington, but we can protect ourselves here from the outside, but the people have to get involved. And the whole reason why we have so many problems in our city councils and our commissioners and the schools, oh my gosh, the school boards. And then of course, election stuff, which by the way, we're not alone. Like I'm in touch with poll watchers all over the um, state. And um, they have all had these issues, Austin, Dallas, Houston, you know, major, major issues and all the stuff that we saw on the national level when 2020 came that you saw on the news about poll watchers being locked down and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, you you guys know what
2: were all over it's
1: it. been happening here. We're 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 ahead of the game here. It's 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 been happening here. So before that. So um, anyway, let's, so I, just let's get back to the, let's get back involved. to the
2: mayor really quick. Let's get back to the yeah. mayor. So the mayor who had already been sued once and lost her suit. Now she's on really thin ice. Okay. Yes. Yes. COVID happens. And then the suit I think was filed when in 2019 was it 2019.
1: No, it was, I think it was the first of the year ish in 2020.
2: Okay. So 2020, the suit is filed. Mm -hmm. COVID hits and she's out. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I think, It's a combination Mm -hmm. of not wanting to deal with the whole COVID thing. Yeah. Because it was getting very contentious. Mm -hmm. And then of course the suit, because if she's around and she's found guilty again, like, Oh wow. She's done. Like she's got that second strike law. So that happens. I think that's significant. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a big piece. So let's move this thing forward, right? Where we are now is all of a sudden these people who are part of the, the, the County Commission on Voting, they're all leaving.
1: Well, here, here's what's interesting. Okay, so it's taken us a long time to get to court because we had to get the discovery and everything. And when, when COVID hit, everything kind of shut down. So we couldn't get to the courthouse. We couldn't get stuff we needed. And it, took, it just took a long time. So when we finally got the discovery, there was over 2,000 documents that we needed to go through. That took a long time to look at that, analyze and everything else. Um, Finally, we're ready to go. And um, at first the judge wanted us to go to mediation, but that fell through and and he went ahead and made a determination to skip that and go straight to trial, which we're ready to do. And I prefer to do that. So what happened is um, we got that notice. The judge set the date. I think it was towards the end of July-ish. I remember I was in California. And then about a week or two later, a couple weeks later, I believe it was, um, Anissa, the I mean, he set the he set the date for the trial. It was gonna be in the first part of October. After that, Anissa, or the uh, I'm not gonna say name, sorry, the election well, administrator.
2: She's a public, she's a public she resigned. official.
1: She resigned. Right. Okay. And I thought, I go, that's kind of interesting. And then about a week or two later, the whole election department quit. And I go, well, that's kind of interesting. And um, so anyway, that's kind of where it's at. So,
2: yeah, well, what, what happened as a result of that is that the newspaper started to spew its propaganda and the propaganda angle of all of this is that these election officials were bullied. They were harassed. They were fearing for their lives they're pulling a page right out of this whole January 6th fairy tale, right? And now who's being demonized? People- well, here's
1: an interesting thing I want to mention. Uh, when they claimed that they uh, were threatened and stalked is what they're, they're trying to say, um, which I, I don't know anyone who would have done that. I know none of us poll watchers or anybody. Um, uh, that's, that's just crazy. But what happened is she claims she filed police reports. Well, it, it, now the, the, I saw it actually in a couple of papers and I know people that have checked, but there is no record of any reports that they filed with the sheriffs or the police. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. So basically what they're doing is they're, they're, they're playing the victim role, right? They're, they're the victim now because theoretically, you know, if the judgment goes in your favor, they're in the wrong, right? And that election may not stand. We're not sure how this thing is going to be adjudicated. Well,
1: it's, you know, it is on the judge. It is on the judge. Um, So you never know there, but we feel uh, really um, uh, excited to get to court. And um, we feel we have a really strong case because we did, we did run across some other things in discovery that, are are really pretty great as well. So, um, you know, we're and and even just the fact of filing the suit and doing what we're doing, it's it's having an effect, <laughs> which is really good. So, um, anyway, you just do. In my opinion, you just do what what what's been given to you, to do what's right, if you if you are in a position to do so. And because I have standing, I was the one that would need to file that, you know. Um, and it needed to be done because there were too many questions. And now, now, uh, like I said, we're ready to go to court with it. And um, we'll see what the judge, you know, I mean, you never know about judges. So I want everybody to please pray, of course, um, mm-hmm. for, you know, the truth to come out. And, um, and then I need to rate $10,000. <laughs>
2: Right. So let's, let's get into that part of it. Um, let's see. Here it is right here. I've got your fundraiser page locked and loaded, ready to go. And I'm going to put a link to this in the notes for the show page. And um, let me just move this screen up a little bit. I'm just going to close That's this. That's great. So So, there
1: is there's a summary down below of the press release we sent out when we first filed. So it kind of gives a summary of of kind of what what is in the uh, petition. And then down below, there's a link to the petition and then also the the, the different um, supporting documents. One thing that's in there, but I noticed the link has shut down. I don't know. I have to check it. But we had the affidavits in there, which helped tell the story, too. But I have to see what happened with that. But anyway, so this is just one of those, this is like GoFundMe, you know, you just click and-, and
2: uh, Right, and we, we chose this because it was a little safer in terms of uh, not being shut down. And I think even the, the transfer rates are more affordable. The right. this right. is why and, and they've
1: been us. pretty good so far. We haven't had any trouble, so.
2: Yeah, yeah, so I'm gonna put the link here uh, in the show notes. So if you feel like throwing down some money to help Jeanette cross the finish line, that'd be greatly appreciated. I'm going to, I'm going to donate today uh, when the show is over and uh, you know, it says 20,000, that'd be great. You get 10. uh, You'll be able to take care of your lawyer's costs. And I think that's an important thing to recognize that you have two lawyers involved here. One that we worked with, Mm -hmm. we put together the fluoride campaign and then another Mm -hmm. lawyer who, from what I understand, is really good. And uh, they both think that there's enough of a there there with this right. case to take the case on, and even at a reduced rate. Right? Yeah, so- they're
1: even giving me a reduced rate. And the major lawyer has worked with us before, and um, he's done these, sort. this is kind of his area of expertise. So, and, and he's a real good guy, real solid. Um, yeah, so and he gets what's going on in the world and all that. So um, I'm really thankful to have him and, uh, but it does cost money. So, which of course I don't have, but I have the fight. (laughs) So if people can help me with the money part, we'll, we'll take it to the, all the way to the finish.
2: Okay. Well, we'll make sure that that link uh, shows up in the uh, show notes page. Um, I want to thank you for coming on here and giving us an update. And uh, again, you know, your, your journey is like the journey of America right now, right? It, it, it's, you know, you've been on the front lines with this stuff since I've known you. Um, and not only that, but you were ahead of the curve with the whole poll watching thing. Because in 2020, what did we see? We saw basically, you know, people being roped off and, oh, yeah, you can look through that window from 100 feet away, mm-hmm. Right. So you were, you were ahead of the curve on this thing way back in 2018. So, you know, I just, you know, I commend you. I respect you. I love your effort. Uh, you're a true American. If we're gonna use the word Patriot, you would qualify. And uh, I'm thankful you're here and thankful you're in the game. So let's see if we can support you, okay?
1: Thank you, Robert. And thank you for all you do. You know, your voice is so important and uh, we all need to do our part. You know, Everybody has gifts. And they're all they're all necessary
2: so yeah and let me let me just circle back really quickly to again your involvement when you when i moved here like you were like what one of maybe two or three people that would show up at the city council meetings right i mean it was they were just running the show like whatever they wanted to right. do
1: and nobody knew what was going on <laughs>
2: I I really think that this whole thing started to turn with the fluoride campaign. Yes. I really do. Because that's when people started to meet connect. We got to connect with Angela. Uh, We did our presentations with her group. Right. And then all of a sudden this network started to mushroom a little bit. And you were telling me that um, during the last city council meeting, all these people were coming up and speaking articulate fact-based. It was just like, you know that we 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 hit all of a sudden we have an A team, right? And the A team has got their sights set on what's going on locally. So again, it's you were there, you were there at the beginning, and now, you know the reinforcements are showing up. So thanks again, and uh, hopefully we can get you close to the finish line here.
1: All right, thank you so much.
2: All right, Jeanette, we'll talk. I'll talk to you soon and see you around town. All right.
1: Awesome, thanks.
2: Okay, bye. All right, adios. All right, that's a warrior, okay? you. She may not look like a warrior, but Jeanette is relentless, absolutely relentless. She never gives up. Um, she's got her faith in God, right? She's got her, her faith in the Constitution and ideals that, you, you. when you really look at the ideals, they work. They fit. They resonate, right? These are the things in the in the Constitution, right? The Declaration of Independence. These are the things that make sense. We resonate with, and Jeanette has been tireless in her pursuit of those things. So you want to look at warrior? You just saw one. That's a warrior. Okay, um, we're going to get into a different part of the show now. Transition. Then we get some thunder here. If we get thunder. There's a chance that my power may go out, which means that I may not be able to uh, finish the the stream. We got the important part out. The important part was uh, the update. And it's going to be interesting. I mean, a lot of the times with the judge, it's the luck of the draw. Sometimes you can get a good judge and they're going to be considerate, right, to your case. And then there's Alex Jones. All right. So what I want to do now is I want to shift gears and this is kind of a a spinoff of uh, yesterday's show, which of course I do on 15minutesofflame.com. I do that uh, now, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, since I'm taking Mondays off. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on my website. Uh, I also stream live on Rumble at the same time. So yesterday I got into the programming of science fiction. And I took one particular program and that program is space 1999, which had a two year run back in the 1970s. And it started with the fashions of Rudy Gernreich. And let me, let me just give you, if you hit, if you didn't see the show yesterday, um, Here, let's do this. I'm just going to try to get you up to speed as quickly as possible without going down the Sir Lou Grade rabbit hole. Because I had to set up some of that with um, the relationship with Lou Grade and ITV, ATV, all these other assorted companies that are related to uh, the Lou Grade empire. Of which Space 1999 was a part of. So it started with the fashion and the attire of Space 1999. You can see it here. Right here's another example of the attire. So I remember um, a couple of years ago, I went back and I revisited this uh, this TV series, which was kind of like the English attempt to be sort of star trekky, right? And one of the things that I focused on was the fashion and the attire for space 1999. And what really struck me was the unisex nature of their 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 uniforms. Right? There's nothing that really distinguishes uh, a man from a woman, right? They're all kind of gray, kind of, uh, what do you call this? Taupe maybe, taupe, right? Gray, drab, brown. You have some diversity here, of course. Diversity included, included with batteries. Um, and then when you look at the, the, the uh, distinction or differentiation, you'll find it on the arms, Right. So you have the red arm, the gold arm, the black arm, the white arm, the brown arm, another gold arm, and then he's got nothing. But the, the, the distinction on the arms uh, denotes what like group they're in, you know, whether it's technology or medical or security, right? So this is how they were able to figure out who belonged to what. Other than that, it's all pretty much the same. And then I looked at the hairstyles. And the hairstyles, with the exception of this woman, I think there there was this one woman who could change into animals, apparently. Anna Sophia uh, brought that up yesterday. And I didn't remember the fact that she could shapeshift into an animal. I think that might be her. She looks like an animal shapeshifter, doesn't she? Wow. But look at the hairstyles. They're all kind of the same. Short, short, Bobby, right? The dude's hair could be a little bit longer, but not too much longer. He's rocking a little long hair there. But you know, surprisingly, this dude had facial hair that differentiates him. This guy's got the porn stash. Anyway, so there's a lot of similarity, a lot of commonality. To me, it's like this screams, "Wow, this is fucking socialist, right? This is like a socialist attire, or this would be like a communist attire. Everybody's part of the same working class, denoted by different groups, and that popped into my head a couple of years ago. So, as a result of that, again, this is being a couple of years ago. I decided to look into who created those uniforms and the guy that created those uniforms is a fashion designer by the name of Rudy Gernreich. So we're Rudolph Rudy Gernreich was an Austrian-born American fashion designer whose avant-garde clothing designs are generally regarded as the most innovative and dynamic fashion of the 1960s. So what what is Rudy Gernreich known for? Well, He's known for the monokini. Shall we take a look at the monokini? The, that's just weird. Like what is going on there, right? This is the monokini. It looks like a dude with silicone tits. This is how the monokini is. Now, he did this uh, back in the 70s. The style that sent shockwaves across the world has now been faithfully reissued. The iconic design of full high waisted bottom topped with two signature graphic straps or straps. It's true to the freedom of movement of the original. Liberate yourself and go topless today. So he becomes known for the monokini, but that's not all. Oh no, Rudy is an innovator. What else did he do? The thong for men. Oh yeah. Rudy's got his own design for men. Mr. decline this shit. Right. So if you're a man, you can get your thong on again. There's that kind of unisex component to whatever, uh, Rudy serving up here. But we're not done. There's the original thong right here. The thong bikini. He's the guy. He's the guy that said, let's take it right up the butt. Let's take that thing right up the butt, right up the crack. So you can see the... Uh, The bright side of the moon, unlike the dark side of the moon. And then, of course, the bikini bottom, the ultra-high-cut thong bottom stripped down and sleek up. These are the cultural achievements of Rudy Gernreich, right? There you go. So one of the things that Gernreich um, achieved or accomplished Of course, he's he's gay. He's gay. So one of the things he accomplishes is the objectification of women. It's like, let's objectify them all in the name of liberating the body. Now, look, I'm not a prude. I'm not a prude. I'm not suggesting we go back to the Victorian era swimsuits, okay? However, if you're a Muslim woman, you you can't go in a swimsuit. You got got to wear like a a caftan or something when you go in the water, which is the exact extreme opposite. Right. But the idea here is to begin to promote the objectification of women. Now, remember, this is all happening in the 70s. We have Playboy, we have Hugh Hefner. Who is another agent in the objectification of women? This is the beginning of the hypersexualization of society. So that ultimately, it's like, well, geez, who needs to get married to have sex? There are all these willing uh, participants that uh, I can just uh, tap into. And if you're a woman, you throw a little feminism in there and you're right in the game. Pop the pill, right? The birth control pill the brainchild of uh, Carl Gerassi and Syntex out of Mexico, and you're on, right? So we're talking about the beginning of the dissolution of an establishment, the thing, the nucleus that holds us together. So Rudy Gernreich is a disruptor in that world. Now, whether that's intentional or not, you can be the judge. I'm going to go with intentional. It's kind of how I am. It's Mars and Gemini. I'm going to uh, attack with a point of view. Right? So this is this is Rudy Gernreich. This is the guy who ultimately does the fashions for Space 1999. The unisex, like, it's drab. It's totally drab. And I even remember going back and watching, like, uh, an episode. I think I have the two-box set of Space 1999 stuff. Going back and watching, and even in my imagination, like trying to think, like, is that woman sexy? Is that a sexy woman? I mean, yeah, yeah. The answer was like, yeah, not really. So there's a reason for that, right? There's a reason they want to create this idea of the future where everybody is equal. Everybody's equal. Everybody basically is the same that there's theoretically no rank only a division right like this is your work group so it's all socialist programming in terms of the fashion now rudy gernreich gets to the show through barbara bain like you know she's living in la she's married to martin landau she gets rudy gernreich to uh, do this barbara bain Baked, baked in the uh, baked in the cake socialist from where Chicago. So you can see here, right how science fiction can be used to promulgate and promote ideas that are futuristic. I talked about this when we get into science fiction, we suspend our belief. This is why science fiction can be very powerful. We suspend our belief. You have to agree to certain things in order to participate in the show. And in this show, Space 1999, a freaking moon blows up. That's the premise. And now a big chunk of the moon with um, Space Base Alpha, whatever it's called, is now floating through the universe. So immediately you have to suspend a lot of belief, like where do they get their power from, right? You're, you're, You're just on the journey on a rock in space. And then you're going to encounter alien species and, you know, time anomalies and all the other shit that goes on with stuff like that. So when you suspend your belief, now all of a sudden you have a fashion statement. It's like, Oh, look, everybody's, everybody's equal. Oh, isn't that nice? Now, Star Trek kind of did this to some degree, but they also didn't. Star Trek. What do you, what do you remember? From, I know what I remember from Star Trek. Cleavage and short skirts. Like there were men and there were women on USS Enterprise. Moonbase Alpha, it's hard to tell. All right. So who or what or or the who and the what is driving the ideas of Rudy Gertreich? I have an answer for you. It's his lover. And his lover, see, there you go. Fashion and social commentary. Gernreich was very much against sexualization of the human body. Well, why the fuck did he make the monokini? You don't think that's the sexualization of the human body? You don't think that the thong, where you you get to see the twerk muffins right out in the open, you don't think that's sexualization of the body? Gernreich was very much in sexualization of the human body and the notion that the body was shameful. was essentially, Gernreich developed strong feelings about society's sexualization of the human body and disagreed with religious and social beliefs that the body was essentially shameful. He wanted to reduce the stigma of a naked body to cure our societies of its sex hang-up, as he put it. What the fuck planet is this guy living on? Do you think that That would limit the sexualization of the body. Like, do you think the thong is going to limit the sexualization of the body? Give me a break. To me, the only respect you can give to a woman is to make her a human being. A totally emancipated woman who is totally free. Then why even make a fucking bikini? Because you'd be out of business. That's why. Why don't you just let her go naked? Wouldn't that be really free? Or better yet, why don't you give your bikinis away? Gernreich approached fashion, as social commentary. He said, I realized you can say things with clothes. Editors of Life Magazine asked him to envision clothes in the future for January 1st, 1970 issue. Remember the beginning of a decade, it's always the new story, right? It's the new story, the new trends, everything goes new. Now, There are years when a president is elected in the beginning of a decade. Those are even more important. This time Nixon was two years into office being elected in 1968. Re-elected in 1972 and then quickly shuttled out. He produced designs of minimalist unisex garments that could be worn by either men or women. He said he wanted to create a utility principle. It would take our mind off how we look and concentrate on really important matters. Fashion writer Mary Lou Luther, who became a good friend of Gernreich, wrote that he had two motives in his designs. One was to create modern fashion for the 20th century and beyond, and the other was as a social commentator who just happened to work in the medium of clothes. Gernreich purposefully uses designs to advance his socio-political view but were they his views? There's the old the no bra exhibitions, personal life. Ah, here we go. Now we're getting closer. Uh, I got to do a shift here with the camera. Give me one second. Oh, did it itself. Okay, cool. Now we're getting closer. Wright meant Oreste Pucciani, future chairman of the UCLA French Department, was a key figure in bringing Jean-Paul Sartre, Jean-Paul Sat, to the attention of American educators, the great existential nihilist. Oreste Pucciani was also a pivotal figure in the gay rights movement. The two men kept a relationship private, as Gernreich believed public acknowledgement of his homosexuality would negatively affect his fashion business, unlike today, would be a fucking superstar. So eventually he winds up. Um, he got involved in an entrapment case. He eventually winds up with Harry Hay. You don't really read a lot about Harry Hay here. Not a whole lot. You'll read about Mattachine, the Mattachine Society. But here's Harry Hay right here. Right there. So we are going to get into uh, Harry Hay and then the Mattachine Society. That's where this is all going. So I found this incredibly bizarre minute and a half clip where somebody from PBS, this is just, you're going to flip your way. Actually interviews a member of the Mattachine Society. Now the Mattachine Society was set up by Harry Hay in some of his radical cohorts. So their idea, and again, you, you'll, you'll see these, <clears throat> just like Rudy Gernreich, right? You'll see ideas in conflict. So the ideas in conflict represent a threefold, um, threefold algorithm. Number one, an idea in conflict is an indication that the individual themselves is conflicted. Right, So they have a conflict or a war going on inside themselves. That's, that's number one. Number two, ideas and conflict can be very good at destabilizing things. Just when you look at what Gernreich has to say, well, you know, I'm not into sexualizing the body. I'm just not into doing that. But then he creates a fucking thong, right? That's, that's like an idea in conflict. There's a term for that. It's called cognitive dissonance. And when people are caught in cognitive dissonance, what happens? They're like, "Uh, I don't know. Uh," Right? Because you're trying to make a connection with two bits of information that don't connect. So is it something that is intentional? Or is it a byproduct of somebody who's in conflict with themselves? Probably both. Probably chicken and the egg. And then the other thing... This is the third manifestation of an idea in conflict, is that if you have an agenda, which clearly Harry Hay had an agenda, and even Rudy Gernreich had an agenda. If you have an agenda, having ideas in conflict can help mask your agenda, because you can say one thing and do something completely different. Where do we see that all the time? That's like a common ploy. We 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 see it on on the news. We see it. Um, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, right? It's like okay. Well, you know, we have problems with supply chain or food, price of gas, all these all this other bullshit and inflation. And what are you going to do? Send hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine? This is what I'm talking about. It's like an idea of conflict. Oh, we have inflation. Well, we don't have inflation. No. Well, this is the definition of inflation. Well, that's not the right definition. We'll change that. We're going to change the idea of the definition of inflation, which they did. Right? So these are like ideas in conflict. It creates cognitive dissonance. We're going to save the environment. But in order to do that, we're going to fuck the environment up. We're going to make the environment so inaccessible to you. But we're going to save it as a result. So thank us. It's like an idea of conflict. So I'm going to show you this um, interview with the Mattachine. Well, a guy who's, a, he's the a weirdest fucking dude. So I'm going to show this to you. And I may wind up playing this um, once or twice, just because it's like so incredibly bizarre. All right, let me get into this. So this is a PBS Special from, I think, 1966, if I'm not mistaken. So Richard Inman, look at that name, Dick Inman. Who makes this shit up? His name is Dick Inman. Was president of the Mattachine Society, one of the earliest gay rights groups. His goal was to legalize homosexuality. Between consenting and adults. When you go into the Mattachine Society, you know who you come up against or is a peripheral influence is Alfred Kinsey. So now these guys are basically saying hey, look, now back in the day, if you were gay, you could get arrested, right? Like if you were gay and you propositioned an undercover cop, you get arrested. Gay bars were completely underground, right? There were laws in place that made it more difficult, wherever you weigh in on that, right? Wherever you weigh on that. So there's a part of me who was like, well, fuck it. Like if somebody is gay and they wanna hang hang out and have a relationship with another gay person, that's their business, right? So there's a part of me that's like, you know, why should somebody be punished for being gay? That, so that's the, to me, that is my egalitarian side, Steve Mars and Gemini. The other side is, well, maybe these laws were in place to keep us from where we are now. And if you really, really are honest with yourself and look at the, look at the laws and look at how they acted as a type of governor, even though you're not going to prevent people from doing whatever they're going to do, right? But if you remove the legal precedent, it's kind of like we're not going to arrest people for shoplifting. Have you seen what's happened lately? Have you seen what's happened lately? I saw a video yesterday and it was a mob. I'm not talking one, two, I'm not talking to the lone bag man in a Walgreens in San Francisco. I'm talking a fucking mob. And they went into a 7-Eleven and they hit it like a swarm of locusts, including going behind the counter. And nobody was there. Nobody did anything, right? How did we get there? We got there because we relaxed the penalty for that, that sort of thing. And in the summer of Floyd, it was like, oh, there was a fire over there. Have some gas. It's on us. That's what happened. The whole summer of Floyd was an accelerant on the social condition. And people look back, wow, look at that. Boy, we got away with some shit. Hey, they just passed this law. And then all of a sudden, there's more license, more license, more license, and then you have the breakdown of society, which is what we're seeing now. So, again, the egalitarian side of me is like, why should these guys be fucking arrested? You know, if you know you want to be dick in man, why should, why, should you, why should you be arrested? The other side of me, Mars and Gemini, is like, there was a reason for that. And I think we're seeing the reason pretty far downstream. All right, so let's have a listen to Mr. Dick in man.
3: Up about, oh, I forget, some years ago, over four years ago. It's not my cup
2: of tea. Oh, that's the end. Let's start from the beginning. Look at this guy. Look at him. Oh my God. You know what he reminds me of? He looks like he's a fucking alien playing the role of a human. Look at him. Ooh, Dick and Man is creepy. Okay, so he, here we go. What, just watch his face. Watch his face when he tells this guy right to his face what the plans of the Mattachine Society are and not. All right, here we go. Let's watch this. His homosexuality between consenting adults was a reluctant participant in tonight's program.
3: Now, present laws give the adult homosexual only the choice of being, to simplify the matter, heterosexual and legal, or homosexual and illegal. This, to a homosexual, is no choice at all. What type of laws are you after? Well, let me say, first of all, what type of laws we are not after. Because there has been much to do that the society was in favor of... uh, uh, the legalization of marriage between homosexuals and the adoption of children and such as that, and that is not at all uh, factual at all.
2: Do you believe this son of a bitch? Like, he is lying through his fucking crooked teeth. It's exactly what it's about. That is exactly what it's about. And he's sitting there, literally bald-faced, claiming... That that's not what their agenda is. And he's shit grinning his way through the entire interview. All right, let's go back here. Let me just go back a little bit so you catch it. Looks in the opposite direction.
3: He was in favor of uh, um, the legalization of marriage between homosexuals and the adoption of children and such as that. And that is not at all uh, factual at all. Homosexuals do not want that. Uh, you
2: might okay, right some- there. He had a tell. So i give you a little, little, little tell history here, a little tell story, a little tell tale. Anytime anybody says something to you and they look away, they're fucking lying. Now, a really good liar will know this, and they will force themselves not to look away from you. That's a really good liar, but they'll have other tells. So watch what he does again. He's lying through his fucking crooked teeth. Here we go
3: factual at all. Homosexuals do not want that. Uh, You might find some fringe character someplace who says that that's what he wants. Are you a homosexual?
2: Yeah. Well, Uh, that's okay. (laughs) He almost said yes. And he caught himself. So remember, we're talking about conflicting ideas, conflicted humans. So he almost said, yes, let's go back. He's going are you homosexual? Here we go, right here. Yeah,
3: well, that's yes and no. Uh, I was a homosexual. I first engaged in such acts when I was 14 years old. Um, I was never seduced by an older person or anything like that. But I gave it up about, oh, I forget, some years ago, over four years ago. It's not my cup of tea.
2: And again, he smiles and he laughs, right? Oh, I gave it up. It's just like coffee. Yeah, I gave up coffee about four years ago. It wasn't my cup of tea. (laughs) I mean, this interview is mind-blowing. So this is the guy who's the head of the Mattachine Society. So I'm going to give you a little bit more background on the Mattachine Society. So this is where everything starts right here. So the Mattachine Society founded in 1950. What do we have? We have another zero year was an early national gay rights organization in the United States, perhaps preceded only by Chicago society of human rights, communist. Okay. This is important. Now, communist and labor activist, Harry Hay, who is Harry Hay. He is Rudy Gernreich's longtime lover. And, Did you see Harry Hayes' ideas essentially being expressed on Space 1999 through Rudy Gernreich in the socialization of fashion? I sure did. The group uh, formed a group with a collection of male friends in Los Angeles to protect and improve the rights of gay men, branches in other cities. Uh, And by 1961, the society had splintered into regional groups. At the beginning of the gay rights protest, news on Cuban prison work, camps for homosexuals, inspired Matachin Society to organize protests at the United Nations in the White House. So Harry Hay conceived of a gay activist group in 1948. This goes all the way back to 1948. After signing a petition for a Progressive Party presidential candidate, Henry A. Wallace. Henry Wallace. That was, uh, that was FDR's, um, secretary of agriculture. Right. Let me just make sure I have that. Henry Wallace, right. Um, served the 33rd vice president. Yeah. So he, this guy, Henry Wallace, who was also very much into, um, spirituality, um, he was out there. Henry Wallace was out there. So he was the 33rd vice president. Isn't, that's an interesting number. And the 11th U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. So 33 and 11. After signing a petition for Progressive Party presidential candidate, Henry Wallace, he spoke with other gay men. Uh, by the way, uh, Wallace was friends with Nicholas Rorick, the, uh, the esotericist from Russia, interesting character, another show. Um, about forming a gay support organization for him called Bachelors for Wallace. Encouraged by the response he received, he wrote the organizing principles that night, a document he referred to as The Call. So they've got a manifesto. However, the men who've been interested at the party were less than enthusiastic the following morning. Over the next two years, Haber refined his idea, finally conceiving of an international fraternal order to serve as a service and welfare organization devoted to the protection and improvement society's androgynous minority. Oh. Kind of like Space 1999. Oh. He planned to call this organization Bachelors Anonymous. <laughs> And envisioned it serving a similar function and purpose as Alcoholics Anonymous. Except with Alcoholics Anonymous, people have a problem. They're trying to kick something. Bachelors Anonymous, not the same function. Let's be, let's just be open about that. He met Rudy Gernreich in July 1950. The two became partners, and he showed Gernreich called, Gernreich declaring the document the most dangerous thing he had ever read, became an enthusiastic financial supporter of the venture. So Rudy Gernreich's making money in the fashion world. He also comes from probably a well to do uh, Viennese family out of Austria. They left before World War II, uh, kicked in, they probably got all their money out and moved to the States. He played, okay, so uh, let's see. Enthusiastic uh, financial although he did not lend his name to it going instead by the initial R finally on November 11, 11, 11, 1950. Hay, along with Gernreich and friends, Dale Jennings and partners, Bob Hall and Chuck Rowland held the first meeting of the Mattachine society in Los Angeles under the name society of fools. So again, we're seeing like different names, duck and cover, right? Society of fools. Hey, we're just jesters. We're just fooling around. Don't take us seriously. James Gruber and Conrad Stevens joined the society in April, 1951, and they were generally considered to be original members. Also that month the group changed this name to the Mattachine society, a name suggested by Gruber and chosen by Hay after medieval French secret societies of mass men who through their anonymity were empowered to criticize ruling monarchs with impunity. So the mask is that they're going to, for all intents and purposes, play straight. Harry Hay even does that. Harry Hay, when he becomes a member of the Socialist Party, CPUSA, becomes a member at that time, which is weird. Like if you were a member of the Communist Party, they frowned upon homosexuality. They didn't disbar you, but they frowned upon it. In fact, they frowned upon it so much that they had Harry Hay marry a beard. So, again, that's his mask, right? And the mask is the guy smiling through his teeth. Well, we have no intention of doing anything like that. As Hay became more involved in uh, his Mattachine work, he correspondingly became more concerned that his orientation would negatively affect the Communist Party. So, there's a bit of a conflict there. Well, it's like, most other organizations at that time was anti-homosexual, did not allow gay people to become members. Hay himself approached party leaders and recommended his own expulsion. The party decided to expel him as a security, but declaring him a lifelong friend of the people in recognition of his previous work for the party. Well, they married him off. He had to have a beard. Mattachine was originally organized in similar structure to the communist party. So when you really look at this, and I would love for James Lindsay to, to um to dive into this because you can see where these agendas eventually converge, right? Socialism, communism, unisexuality, homosexuality, subversion and revolt. They're all part of the same monad. Ultimately they fuse together because look at it now. They're all part of critical theory, right? And these are, this is a phalanx. This group, not necessarily the Mattachine Society, but what they represent is a phalanx of critical theory and the whole critical theory army. Um, Mattachine, okay, so we talked about that. Cells, oaths of secrecy, five different levels of membership. So we're, we're talking about a secret society too. It, which means it's occulted each of which required greater levels of involvement and commitment as the organization grew the levels were expected to subdivide into new cells creating the potential for horizontal and vertical growth so they are thinking this thing fucking through this is a long term project a long term plan and what is their goal it is revolt it's a revolution The Madachine society used so-called Haroquin diamonds as their emblem, the design of four diamonds arranged in a pattern to form a larger diamond. The French group, in turn, uh, named in turn after Madachino, or the angle-sized Mattachino, a character in Italian theater. Madachino was kind of a court jester who would speak truth to the king when nobody else would. The Mattachine from Arabic mask wearers was originally Moorish. Hispano-Arab sword dancers who wore elaborate, colorful... So this is cultural appropriation. They're fucking, you know, culturally appropriating uh, a Moorish-Arabic tradition. Shame on them. Most of the Matagin members were communists. Surprise, surprise. As the Red Scare progressed, the association with communism concerned some members as well as supporters and, hey, a dedicated member of the CPUSA for 15 years stepped down as a society's leader. Others were similarly ousted, and the leadership structure became influenced less by communists, but has its roots there, replaced by moderate ideology, is that true, quote unquote, similar to those espoused by the liberal reformists of the civil rights organizations that existed for African-Americans. Oh, well, there's a nice miscegenation of movements Although Hay claimed never to have even heard of the earlier gay liberation struggle in Germany by the people around Adolf Brand, Magnus Hirschfeld, and the Austrian-Hungarian, Leonton Sagan. He is known to have talked about it with German emigres in America, including the Austrian-born, Rudy Gernreich. So the Madachine is a pretty important group here. It just keeps getting weirder and weirder and weirder. And you can see the influence, right? A largely amicable split with the National Society in 1952 resulted in a new organization called One Inc. Now they're incorporated. One admitted women and together with Mattachine provided help to the Daughters Abilitists in the launching of the group's magazine, the latter 1956. This is a long March. The Daughters abilities were an independent lesbian organization who occasionally worked with predominantly the male Mattachine Society. The Janus Society Grew out of lesbian and gay activists, meeting regularly beginning in 1961 in hopes of forming the Mattachine chapter. The group was not officially recognized as such a uh, chapter. However, and so instead, itself, the, the Janus Society of Delaware Valley in 1954. They renamed themselves the Janus Society of America due to their increasing national visibility. So if you go back and you look at what I was talking about during COVID, what did I say? I said we were in a Janice ritual, the wearing of the mask. And then in society, there would be people with masks and without masks, which in some ways is a replication of Janice, the two-faced God. If you look at Beyonce's new uh, album, there's, it's like a video album. She's got a freaking Janice helmet and mask on her. Now, is that, is that intentional? So this thing just grows and grows and grows. So um, January 1962, East Coast homophile organizations, ECHO was established with its formative membership, including the Mattachine Society. And eventually what happens with Harry Hay. Um, so these are the goals. Unify homosexuals isolated from their own kind, educate homosexuals and heterosexuals towards ethical homosexual culture, paralleling the cultures of the Negro, Jewish, and Mexican peoples. All right. So if your people in that culture were in those cultures, and to me, this is, if, 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 if I happen to be black in this lifetime and I saw these people piggybacking on like my struggle or struggle of my group or my family or my culture or my ancestry, I'd be like, get off my fucking yacht. You, you don't belong on my yacht. Sorry. I don't even care if we, you know, share the same ethnicity. You got double trouble, but you know, you might be able to ride on the yacht once she's announced that other thing. Right. I mean, I'm being a little tongue in cheeky here, but I've always felt to me, Like, and even Jason Whitlock talks about this. It's like, they're using, they're using this whole idea of race struggle, civil rights struggle to basically like piggyback on it and then leapfrog over it. Who's more important now? Who's more important now in terms of the struggle? Two years ago it was George Floyd. Is that where the struggle is today? Are we, it's part of the, it's part of the talking point. It's always part of the talking point. But I would say the answer to that is no. And the figureheads for the struggle are the people that are you're not allowed to talk about now. Just ask James Lindsay. He was banned for using the word groomer. You, you, they had to come up with a new word for monkeypox, right? This is where we are. I'm just giving you the data points. So this whole thing with critical race, that's kind of—that's getting further and further in the rear view mirror. And it's—and it, now we're on this like bullet train with pronouns, gender identity, and being driven by the roots of where all this started, which is the Mattachine Society. Now, Harry Hay, eventually, so he's around Los Angeles. Here, I'll go into his bio a little bit here, a little bit more. Um, So there's more on the Mattachine here. Here, I'll show you. So this is... another brief. So this is the library of Congress. LGBTQIA plus studies. If we know what the plus is, it's minor attracted persons. This is coming right from the library of Congress. I am not going to some right wing column to show you this information. The Mattachine Society, initially called the Mattachine Foundation, began as a secret organization in Los Angeles in 1950 with their first statement of purpose being drawn up in 1951. We know, a lot of this here. Uh, The group was founded by communist organizer, Harry Hay and other leftists, including Bob Hull, Chuck Rowland, Dale Jennings, Conrad Stevens, James Gruber, Rudy Gernreich. The Mattachine founders borrowed the initial structure of the organizational organization from the communist party and the leadership, the Fifth Order, was anonymous. So members didn't even know their names. The Matachima become several prominent groups organizing during or, organizing during the period, this is important, of the LGBT, LGBTQ plus activism, referred to as the homophile movement. Okay. So now what they're doing here, they're laying it out for you. Like this was a seminal group that was a radical group Steeped in revolutionary theory, both from the communist side and from the Kinsey side, which is, again, sexual revolutionary theory. And they are like the first wave of everything that happens from that point forward. So you may think, well, this happened in 1950. Well, it's, it, it played a, a huge role because of how it eventually morphed into what we would call normalization. And just like Dick and man was laughing through his teeth. Of course, that's what they wanted. I'll show you, I'll show you with Harry Hay as well. I'll show you what happens here. Same thing. They say one thing and then they absolutely and utterly believe and practice another Mars and Gemini. So this is a, uh, an important movement in Mattachine and I'll tell you why around 1957, the Mattachine society moved their headquarters from Los Angeles to San Francisco. This is how and why San Francisco becomes the center of the universe for gay culture. It's the Mattachine society. They're planting their flag in San Francisco and they're going to turn their secret society their revolutionary um, movement into a political force that ultimately manifests in Harvey Milk. This is an important movement, right? You can see it. It's right there. You, you ask yourself, well, geez, well, h- how did San Francisco get this way? There it is. This was the headquarters of this revolutionary group so they're going to recruit members they're going to have safe houses right this is this is exactly what's going to happen you know who else lived in san francisco right around this time allen ginsberg allen ginsberg lived in potrero hill we'll come back to ginsberg we're going to come back to harry hay and another group that harry hay had a hand in, although publicly he would say he did not, which is not true. We'll get back to that. A letter from the Mattachine board of directors. They informed the local chapters that the board had voted five to two in favor of evoking all area council charters and getting out of the branch office business the letter went on to encourage local Mattachine branches to continue working autonom- autonomously, which many did the San Francisco Mattachine went on until 1967. So they had 10 years to create um, a center and a base in San Francisco. So by the time we're moving into the early seventies in San Francisco, this thing has had totally taken root, right? You had Polk street and then you had the Castro and this is how it gets there. This is, this is the foundation. All right. So I'm going to go a little bit deeper into Harry Hay and uh, what he's about. All right. So one of the things that um, is often attributed to Harry Hay is his relationship with Nambla. Okay, before I get into that, he was deeply involved in Hollywood for a, a while because one of his lovers I think it might have been after Rudy Gernreich was Will Gear who played Grandpa Walton on on the Walton family or the you know the the Waltons, right? And I think all the Waltons were probably commies. Because uh, Will Gear was a total commie, and a lot of Harry Hayes' uh, introduction to communism came through Will Gear, and I always just thought it was like ironic and laughable that um, Grandpa Walton was a Pinko fairy. Right. <laughs> it's Good night, Grandpa. I'm sorry. I was going to go to a dark place there. Um, But that's also showing you how these ideas are proliferated through the Hollywood network. Oh, let's make movies about it. Let's place these people in shows. Let's, let's keep this thing kind of beneath the surface, but we'll bubble up the influence. All right. So I'm going to show you this right here. So um, Harry, Hay. when you read about him, you'll see, NAMBLA, you will see NAMBLA as it relates to Harry Hay. Like, directly or indirectly, he's involved. Which is why they link the Mattachine to LGBTQAI+, plus, plus, whatever, right? Harry Hay, founder, 1950, first American gay group to survive, the Mattachine Society, co-founder of Gay Liberation Front, Southern California, 1969, blah, 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 Harry was a vocal and courageous supporter of NAMBLA. So he died at 90. October 24, 2002. Courageous supporter of NAMBLA. Intergenerational sexual relationships. Though since his death, many of the assimilationists in the gay and lesbian movement, including its most prominent organizations, have already sought to erase that part of his radicalism, not to mention his communist roots and vocal critiques of their own approach to the powers that be. In order to bring truth to the record, I have transcribed these comments. So what's interesting is they're trying to scrub, and this guy, by the way, this guy is gay. He's gay. So again, he's not some right-winger like he knows Harry. Hay, And he's like, fly your freak flag. Hi brother. Because they're trying to, to diminish your ideology, which is communist and your, your pedology, which has to do with kids. All right. So let's, let's keep going. I first met Harry in early 1983 at the time of, these, uh, f- of the first of these speeches, I was introduced to him and his lovely, I almost said saintly companion, John Burnside, a lovable gay man if there ever was one, by lesbian activist, self-professed witch, and sometime weed partner, Catherine Davenport, a mutual friend and journalist for the New York native. I knew about Harry's past as a communist and a labor activist, as well as the central role he had played in efforts to launch a gay movement in the dreary conformist 1950s a time in homosexuality was still medicalized as a sickness or excoriated as a satanic perversion. I also knew that he had developed a philosophy of same sex love that seemed inspired by the writings of Edward Carpenter. Though without the explicit intermediate sex or third sex baggage, you're retaining a hint of the idea that gay men were destined to lead society to a higher level of sexual freedom and social justice. So these were Harry Hayes' ideas that the gay male will be on the forefront. They will be the vanguard of sexual freedom and that last phrase, social justice. When I was president of the New York Gay Activist Alliance in 1975, we received a letter from Taos, from Harry from Taos, where he was living, in which I expounded his ideas with lots of capital letters. And to me, uh, which he expounded is a like, lots of and to me rather strange formulations. I was excited because I hadn't realized that he was still alive. Since he had remained largely science so far as gay issues were concerned, since he was driven out of Mattachine for his radicalism, so Mattachine eventually goes mainstream. So when I met him in 1983, I prepared a lavish turkey dinner. For him, John, and Catherine. From then on, I considered him a friend. I was lucky to have spent more time with him than I could have hoped for, yet far less than I would have liked. At Phil Wilkie's Wisconsin Cabin and his St. Paul apartment at the Stonewall 25 demonstration in New York, 1994, where Harry and John, as well as the late Jim Kepner, another early member of the Mattachine Society and gay archivist, marched with the spirit of Stonewall contingent that included NAMBLA and at the International Lesbian and Gay Association ILGA conference in New York that same week, which expelled NAMBLA despite Harry's vocal protests and subsequent disgust. Under pressure from U.S. Senator Jesse Helms, the Clinton administration, gay Congressman Barry Frank, and the gay lesbian assimilationist organizations. At his and John's apartment in San Francisco at a ferry event in Storveson Park, In New York at several NAMBLA conferences. So essentially what this guy is doing, because if you look at like Barney Frank and some of these people, they don't want to be associated with the baggage. They want the baggage. Don't get me wrong. They want the baggage, but they don't want to be associated with it. So Harry Hay, by the way, is an Aries. So he's not going to give a fuck. doesn't matter what sex you are. Astrology still applies. And he's like out there, you know, he's out there. And yeah, Nambla on, right? That guy is setting the record straight. Now I found this video. Let me see if I can uh, cue it back up again here. What is this? Is this from today? Oh, this is weird. What is this? Oh, the best TikTok astrology accounts.
3: Mm.
2: All right, let me see if I can find this thing. I'm in the wrong browser. My bad. Okay. Mattachine Society. We got Jeanette. We got Dick Inman. Yeah, so this was this was interesting here, right? This was kind of an interesting um, video. It's not really that interesting, to be honest with you, but what's interesting, because it's about Harry Hay, and um, so I can cue it up. In this video, which was posted on February 9th, 2022, which is not that long ago, what they do is they dispel the notion that Harry Hay had any um, connection, interest, or support for NAMBLA. So this is kind of like a version of Newspeak, right? It's like, OK, we're going to assimilate the ideas. This guy is a so-called pioneer. He's like the John the Baptist of, the, of this movement. But what we're going to do is we're going to whitewash the NAMBLA stuff. We're going to whitewash the communist stuff. So that he could be more credible as an icon, and we could still forward those ideas without the baggage. All right, let me see if I can uh, tap into this here. Give me a second. Okay, it looks like we're good. Let me just do this because sometimes I don't get sound. Here's old Harry. By this point in time, he's looking more like Harriet. All right, here we go.
0: ...lead them toward unification and education. But Hay was a lone wolf. That he believed LGBT people should not just adapt into a heterosexual-dominated society was frequently at conflict with other members. Hay was expelled from the group in 1953 amid increasing public scrutiny. She carried on, although with less conflict than Hay had planned. In 1955, Hay was brought before a House Un-American Activities Committee subcommittee to speak about Communist Party activities in Southern California. He spent the following decade and a half involved in progressive politics on the West Coast, including anti-draft and anti-war movements, after which the claims against him were rejected. Hay shunned coats and ties in favor of trousers, earrings, long hair, and necklaces. In 1962, Hay met and married the inventor, John Burnside. The couple took part in homophile demonstrations in the 60s. Hay was the chairman of the Los Angeles Committee. Do you see how they're connecting
2: Harry Hay with the civil rights movement? And by the way, he's not about assimilation. He, he does not want to assimilate into hetero society he wants his group ultimately to be a dominant group and overthrow hetero society this is what harry hay was about this is what madachine was about so to me this is again they're like linking him up with fucking civil rights okay pay attention just pay attention to the programming the marketing here the propaganda it's all part of the machine
0: to fight the exclusion of homosexuals from the armed forces during this time and he also served in other positions. In 1978, Hay founded the Radical Fairies, a gay fraternity that promoted gay rights with spiritualism and New Age traditions, while discouraging hetero-imitation. Hay, a contentious elder statesman in the LGBT community in the 1980s and 1990s, valued diversity. He remained skeptical of the mainstream homosexual rights movement, frequently taking provocative positions like campaigning for the inclusion of NAMBLA in pride parades.
2: Okay, do you see that? Do you see that? That is completely contrary to what I just read you. That guy who invited him over for dinner and cooked a wonderful turkey dinner for him, Marched with him as part of the NAMBLA contingency. And Hay spoke vociferously about NAMBLA not being allowed to be a part of whatever, you know, convention that they were having in New York. Whereas this video explicitly states the opposite. So that guy said, basically, I'm here to set the record straight because they're whitewashing everything. This is what happens. But even in this world, this world is also um, vulnerable to Orwellian newspeak, right? They're, so they're creating, like, a, an alternative history for Harry Hay. And what are they doing here? Like, what, what the fuck does Martin Luther King have to do with Harry Hay? I mean, talk about convoluted, but this is how programming works. This is how it works. They're going to basically um, whitewash his past. They're going to whitewash him, clean him up, take out any of the, you know, the potential, you know, dirty stuff. Right. And then they're going to kind of re- reformat him. And they're going to link him up with Martin Luther King because Everything was born into like this whole, born out of this, you know, care and need and love for civil rights. It's mind blowing, but it gives you an understanding and an idea as to how the game works. So it's pretty clear that Harry Hay, well, not a founding member of NAMBLA. But remember now, Mattachine worked in secrecy. That was their big thing. They worked in secrecy. So would it be any different for Harry Hay to have a relationship with NAMPLA that wasn't public? Of course it would be. Getting back to Allen Ginsberg, Allen Ginsberg was a backer of NAMPLA. And, of course, Ginsberg was living in San Francisco um, during the summer of love. Him and uh, Peter Orlovsky, his uh, longtime partner, right around the time Harry Hayes living there, too just when uh, the, uh, the headquarters of Mattachine in San Francisco are shutting down, you're know, basically cohabitating in the same universe in San Francisco. So I just, I wanted to bring this up today for a number of different reasons. Number one, many of you have not heard of Harry Hay. Uh, number two, you may not be familiar with the modern version of the Mattachine Society. Uh, number three, You may not be aware of how they were linked with communism and all based on the communistic model, right? So these are important facts to understand. Number four, you can clearly see that we start with the wave of normalization, right? It becomes about normalization and rights. And that by the time we get to August 19th, 2022, like where are we now? What's normal now? What's normal now is giving your nine-year-old a sex change, and uh, having a dr- drag queen pole dancing down at the local bar where you take your eight or nine-year-old kid, right? And uh, the local uh, drag queen who's doing the pole dance takes a five-dollar five-dollar bill out of your out of your kid's, uh, you know waistline, right? Tucked into their pants or whatever, right? This, this is where normalization is going. Oh, we don't want those things. Really? He's lying out of his teeth. in man was lying out of his teeth. This goes back to what happened in California. Look, you can apply this any which way you want. I'm just using this as a specific example, I remember in California when the whole gay marriage thing, I was living there, you know, big ballot thing. It fucking lost, by the way. Did that stop them? No, it didn't. They found a judge, happened to be gay. Well, but he was a libertarian. See, he was a libertarian. He's just in there for all people's rights. He flipped it over. How do you feel if you're a California voter? All of a sudden, your vote is invalidated because you have a judge who's an activist judge says, yeah, I'm a libertarian. It should be for everybody. And I remember during that time, it was like, yo, you're so afraid that, you know, we're going to involve your kids and we're going to try to bring homosexuality into the schools. Well, we're not going to do that. We just want to get married just like everybody else. That's all we want. How'd that work out? How did that work? Were, were they clear about it? Did, did, did they did they stay in alignment with their intention, their stated intention? And this happens all the time. It's not just one specific group. It's not just one specific group. Two weeks. Two weeks to stop the spread. Two weeks to stop the spread. How long did that last? Yeah. So it's, it's an extreme example, but it's an example that is having a massive impact as to where we are now. And there are people that are, um, we're in a struggle here. This is, this is a spiritual struggle. And I went on Facebook, I went on Twitter today and I did a series of tweets. And the tweets have to do with this idea of struggle and normalization. And I think I'm going to kind of wrap things up here because I want to, well, I'll try to leave on a positive note, even though I just opened Pandora's box today, but there's been chatter that Ann H. And um, what's her name? Uh, Ellen uh, Warlosky the Congresswoman from, I believe, Ohio, who got into a, a very strange car wreck where her car like swerved into the other lane and hit a car head on. Okay, so that happens, right? Everybody died. That's interesting. I would assume... Most law-abiding citizens buckle their cars, but buckle their seats. Most modern cars, and I think this is probably a modern car, they deploy safety bags. How does everybody die? That's a question. has been answered. It's just a question. That's not really my point, though. My point is, is that now there are people who are linking Ann H. and this congresswoman with a documentary that they were working on for pedophilia. And that's why they both died. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that's true. It could be. Is there a producer? Are there links? Do we have footage? Do we have emails? Is there anything that explicitly links the two together? And maybe there is, and I'm just not aware of it. And if there is, let me know. But this is what people now are starting to connect, right? Like, oh, well, all right. So it's a pedophile thing. Okay. Well, what about Paul Walker? Paul Walker got into what? A car accident. Supposedly, Paul Walker, and specifically the pedophile stuff was Hollywood related between Anne H. And this um, congresswoman from Ohio. Supposedly, Paul Walker was doing the same thing. What happened to him? Heart wreck supposedly Chris Cornell was doing the same thing what happened to him well he died supposedly Chester Bennington was doing the same thing what happened to him well he died supposedly DJ Avicii was doing the same thing what happened to him he died Isaac Capp was not doing a documentary but you know he was talking a lot of shit and Isaac Cappy again Apparently, supposedly, he died. Of all of them, Cappy's kind of in his own category. And I have mixed feelings about Isaac Cappy. I don't want to get into them right now. But I actually got, I actually, of all my YouTube videos on astrology, the one video that got deleted was the video with Isaac Cappy. And I was talking about Isaac Cappy. It was the one video that got deleted, not by me, but by the powers that be. So all these people set out to do a documentary and they die. What is the common theme here? Well, common theme is theoretically they die and they're trying to expose pedophilia. But again, I'm going to just throw this out there. Like where is, where is the proof and I'm not saying that they weren't because there could be proof. There could be, well, this person talked to this person and that person, this is what they were talking about. Right. But, but where's the proof? Is there any footage? Is there a script? You know, where, where is where, where are the receipts with some of this stuff? And again, I'm not saying that they aren't or weren't, but we automatically assumed that that's what was going on. But none of it has produced anything. It's like, well, we got, 15 minutes of the film they were working on. And boy, in the first 15 minutes, there is a fucking smoking gun. We don't, there's none of that. So I'm not, again, I'm not saying these things didn't happen or they weren't involved in trying to uncover these things. But where does it always end up? In a cul-de-sac, in a dead end. Literally, that's where it ends up. What happens to people? Well then, people get really amped, right? It's the kid thing again. They get really amped. It's like fuck. They were gonna, they were gonna blow this thing wide open. And they got to him, damn it, right? There's another one. Like that's kind of dangerous. Because what do you do with that? First of all, you're gonna get angry, right? It's gonna because. Nobody wants anything to happen to kids. I'm sorry. I'm in that camp. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm in that camp. I don't want anything to happen to kids. Kids deserve to be kids and not have their worlds fucked with. Let them grow up. Give them some guidance, some good moral structure. Show them by your own example how you can live, right? I'm never, I, look, I haven't always done the best in that department. I'll raise my hand, but it's not as if I didn't make an effort because I have We're human, but that's how you do it. And that's how you do it. You teach them some things. You teach them how to do some things. You teach them right from wrong. You teach them not to fuck people over. You teach them to be honest. You know, and if you're spiritually inclined, you teach them to develop a relationship with God so that they can have you know, this, much more, this much bigger power in their lives. Like that's what a parent is supposed to do. And to protect them from the wolves that want to tear at their innocence. I'm firmly in that camp. And what happens is that we got a, we got a bunch of mama bears and papa bears who all of a sudden keep seeing this stuff happen and nothing comes out of it, but they're left with the lingering fact that somebody was very close to blowing the lid, and now they're gone. So it raises your anger, raises your suspicion, and it's like, you know, cue a queen, another one bites the dust. So where does that leave you? leaves you into demoralization. Just be careful. That's all I'm saying here is just be careful when you go down some of these paths. And again, some of these people can be doing the exact thing that is being said. I am not necessarily disputing that. But I've been following this trail for a long time. And not once have I seen any shred of film documentary, any shred of any scripting, any interviews, nothing. haven't seen anything. Maybe they scrub it. Maybe they're scared. I'm, I'm trying to hit as many angles as possible. Now, meanwhile, and this is, I think, the most ironic part of it all. We've had two years of Hunter Biden's laptop. Two years of his laptop. Some of that stuff, a little sketchy, might be a Photoshop-y, come from the Chinese. You know, it could have been like a honey trap. But there are things on his laptop that aren't that way. And we've had two years of it. So do we really need a documentary? Like, it's right there. It's hidden in plain sight. It's in our face. And what are people doing? Nothing. Well, they what can't they do? People are trying. And then you got this asshole, Sam Harris. I'm sorry, he's an asshole. And I know he's very respected in the dark intellectual web. You know, if you're into that world, and, and you like atheism, and you like Sam Harris, and you like his intellectualism, he just came out and said, oh, yeah. You know, there could be a corpse on Hunter Biden's laptop, and I really don't think it should play a role in determining a presidential election. He said that. He doesn't care. Right? He doesn't care. He's smiling. Because he's he's so smart. He's so smart. But he's also working at normalizing whatever you see or have seen, or might envision seeing on Hunter Biden's laptop, he's normalizing. It. It's because he didn't like Trump. He didn't like Trump. So if that was going to get in the way of Trump not being elected, then eh, that's minor compared to the bigger picture. So this is the the downside to all of this is the normalization. Right, it's out there. We're seeing it every single day. In the meantime. These, these again, supposed. I'm not saying they didn't happen, but these supposed um, muckrakers who are working on this stuff never produce anything, and and the, their and their projects end up in flames or their death, right? So what does that leave you with? think about that for a minute. What does that leave you with? And I'm not saying to give up the fight, like, don't do it. Like you, you know, it you say, well, fuck it. Who cares? What does, what does it mean? I'm not saying that all I'm saying is think about where you're investing your energy. Think about what you're watching or reading or listening to and ask really pertinent questions. Just don't jump in and take the bait right? Because some of it is bait. They're going to bait you. They know it because they know people are emotional. And then what happens? Then you get to spew out all these emotions and you don't think this loose thing is real. It's totally real. They will feed off your emotions. They will totally feed off your emotions. It's exactly what happens. That's why we're in this, you know, polarity game where we just ping pong back and forth, ping pong back and forth, right? What happens? Spill all my emotional juice all over the place and like, suck it up. So I'm not saying not to believe these things. i am not tell you what to believe in or not to believe in, but I will present cases to hopefully get you to question the validity of things. And if through your research data and instincts, it proves to be correct and right and you lean into it then go for it take the ball and run with it right just don't take everything at face value I think there's a there there with Ann H it's so weird so strange there's so many kind of strange synchromistic kinds of connections with her there is a there there and will we get to the bottom of it maybe maybe all right. Um, I want to, I want to play you something a little funny before we get out of here. Cause I think it's, I think it's funny. Well, is it really that funny? I think if you're going to think it's funny, I think it's funny. Um, so there's a guy, <laughs> there's a guy who is um, a football player. So in college football, now they have this thing called name, image and likeness, also known as NIL or more appropriately nil. You used to be able to go to college, get a college scholarship. That really meant something. If you got a college scholarship, especially let's say you were from, you know, um, Bessemer, Bessemer, Alabama. You know it's from Bessemer? Bo Jackson. Not a lot of people were in Bessemer. But if you're from Bessemer and you got, a, you got a college scholarship, that's a big deal. Do you know how much a college scholarship costs now? a lot of money. So if you're an athlete, and a good one, you get a ride. It's not the easiest thing. You're, you're obviously playing for the team. Maybe you're actually on the field. Some guys don't see the field very much, but they still get a scholarship. School makes money. Of course, they do make a lot of money, especially school like uh, Alabama, Auburn. But you're going to get a scholarship, and you're going to theoretically, hopefully, learn something. You know what else happens? You meet people. <laughs> maybe you're in a fraternity. Um, maybe somebody who's a um, an alumni connects with you and says, "Hey, you know, when you graduate, here's my card. Give me a call." Being in a situation like that, especially if you do it right, you play, keep your head down, study, get a degree, do something that somebody in your family. May not have accomplished. Like there's value in that. There's real value in that. Some of these schools, it'll be $70,000 for a year. Add it up, $280,000. That's $280,000 that the average kid who can't slam dunk a basketball, can't hit a ball 400 feet, can't throw a baseball 95 miles per hour, or can't run a 4 uh, right? They're not. They're not going to get that. So they're going to have to go in another direction, either take out a loan or find scholarships or in some cases be super smart. Although even that is kind of ending a little bit. It's worth something, but somewhere along the way, people in in college sports, starting with Ed O'Bannon, they decided that players needed to get paid in college. I don't agree with it. This is where Jason Whitlock and I don't have an agreement. I agree with him a lot of things, not on this. I don't think college athletes should get paid. No. And college football brings in most of the revenue for the rest of the sports and the rest of the sports have to be given sort of the same amount of um, attention that college football does called Title IX. So Title IX made sure that the uh, women's synchronized swimming team got like you know, in the budget and in the mix for all the men's sports that theoretically carry the colleges. And do I have an issue with Title IX? Not necessarily. You know, it is what it is. It's happened. I'm sure there are a lot of fathers and mothers out there who are thrilled that their daughters were able to get a college scholarship playing soccer. Great. Or softball. Great. Or basketball. Great. I have a problem with that. But some people think that starting with that, O'Bannon, that these players should get paid. And if you're getting a ride, you're getting a four-year ride, you're getting something that other people don't, I, I never understood this. You're getting something that other people have to pay for and go into debt for. You're getting to be in an institution where, yeah, you're making money for the school. I get it. But you're getting a ride. And you're meeting people, especially if you're halfway decent. If you're halfway decent, and let's say instead of going to the NFL draft as a junior, even if you go in as a junior, you play up till your junior season because you have to play to your junior season. You're gonna meet people. You're gonna meet people that like you, that wanna like, hey, you, you know, I really loved you know your contribution to the team. I'm an alumni. Come look me up. That shit doesn't happen for other people. There, and I could never really understand how other people didn't see this. So now we have name, image, and likeness. This was the big ruling. Now, if you're a college athlete, you can get paid. Before, you couldn't get paid. Like, if you did a commercial, you could get paid. I don't really have a problem with that, per se. Like, if some local business wants to be able to pay you and make and make some money, you know, and you can make some money, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. It's like the compromise instead of actually paying people to play. And by the way, college athletes have been been paid for a long time. Just ask uh, somebody like Eric Dickerson, who essentially got paid to play at SMU. Ruined their program, but he got paid. So I'm going to play you kind of a clever name, image, and likeness ad. And then I'm going to play – I'm going to petition for this dude to get a name, image, and likeness deal. I, I'm I firmly planting my flag in the ground for this particular player because if, if somebody's not going to pick this guy up as name, image, and likeness recipient, you are missing the boat. You're missing the boat. Okay, I get all these calls from Austin and I don't know who the fuck these people are. They're, they're no, I know what they are. They're, they're scammers. All right. So let me play you, let me play this ad. Okay. It's a little unfortunate what happened, but man, we, we got, we got some uh, we got a little subliminal messaging going on in this ad too. I'm not going to get into that though. So there's this guy. He plays for university of Nebraska. And his first name, I shit you not, is the coldest. That's his name, the coldest. And he plays wide receiver for the University of Nebraska, who, by the way, has a coach by the name of Scott Frost. So you have the coldest playing for Coach Frost, which I think is kind of interesting. Now, the coldest winds up getting a name, image, and likeness deal with a local air conditioning company. You got to kind of hand it to them in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, it doesn't turn out that well, but let me play the commercial and then I'll tell you what happens. So, here we go. Look at the cute baby. And the cute baby mama. All right, here we go.
1: I'm so glad we called SOS. Our AC is the coldest.
0: I'm always the coldest.
1: SOS to the rescue.
0: Hey, this is Dakota Scrofford. Rob receiver from Louisiana, now I'm playing in Lincoln. When <laughs> your AC isn't the coldest, you call SOS heating and cooling. Their takes don't make commissions, so they give you an honest opinion, fair pricing, and longer warranties than a competition Guaranteed. Take it from Dakotas, We'll keep you cool this summer.
2: All right. So hats off to SOS. Dakotis, unfortunately, suffered a pretty severe knee injury. So he's not playing this year. It's a good thing he got the NIL money. Congratulations to Coldest. I, I hope you recover and play again. And so does your coach, Scott Frost. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to why SOS didn't use his coach first. Coach has been there for a couple of years. I mean, is the coach not allowed to do this? I don't I don't know. Like, you got Scott Frost and Cooley. Seems like a fit to me. And you've got SOS in there. Like, uh, you could probably do Scott somewhere in there. Right? Says our Scott. Our Scott is our coach. Scott Frost, who played, by the way, at the University of Nebraska. Anyway, those are just lingering questions I have. As far as the coldest goes, I hope you recover. I hope you get back on your feet, get back on the field, and that this is not your only claim to fame. If it is, it's at the very least clever. And congratulations. Now for my candidate for name, image, and likeness. If somebody doesn't pick this guy up, you're missing out. But it's very specific, though. It's a very specific opportunity. Bumper Pool plays linebacker, University of Arkansas. If you're not a fucking pool company and makes pool tables, and you're not Using bumper pool for your name, image, and likeness, you are missing out. I'm telling you, bumper pool needs an NIL deal. And by the way, he's a starting linebacker. It's even better. Decoldis was working his way up the uh, wide receiver hierarchy there in Nebraska. Bumper pool is starting. So, if for any reason you're in the you're in uh, Arkansas. You got a pool company, a, a pool table company. Reach out to this guy and bumper. If you're watching, you want to kick me out a couple percentage. I'd be happy to take that bumper pool. All right. Um, let's get out of here. Thanks for being here today. It's a little humor. Try, I got to leave you on a little humor. Mars is in Gemini. Things speed up. Quickity Um, Let's see. How's our girl Lisa doing? Let me just check in on this before we get out of here. As you know, we're trying to get Lisa onto the uh, stage at the uh, Hollywood Bowl. Every performer's dream to get there on the Hollywood Bowl stage. Well, 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 we have backed a winner here. Look at this. L.A. Bliss took first place in their group and has advanced to the quarterfinals voting to determine the next opening act. Resumes Monday, August 22nd. Stay tuned. We're going we're to be on the Bliss train all the way to her performance at the Hollywood Bowl. And she's got so many, like, guest list possibilities for us. Backstage passes. I'm just kidding, Lisa. But we're, we're going to back her all the way. So we can get a little shout out at the uh, Hollywood Bowl and um, have one of our Chatarians get up there and do their thing. So thanks, everybody, who has supported her. And we're going to get back on that train next week. All right, Sunday night. Back here. Use your head in order to discern what's real. You're hard to see it when it's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Thanks again for Jeanette. I'm going to leave the link uh, to donate to her campaign in the show notes. Uh, if you feel like you want to help her out as well, whatever you can do, um, let, let's, uh, let's support her and sew this thing up. So, you know, we can get some closure on something that we set out to do a long time ago and it's already having an effect and I think a positive way. All right, take care.